You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, as you're being seated, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, we're still working our way through the book of Revelation. Last week, uh, we recapped the last several weeks regarding the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, I'm specifically trying to recap and understand some of the things that we learned from those letters to those seven different churches um, and the implications that they have for us as a church in today's day and age and culture. Um, We said that as we worked through those letters, we learned a lot of things about Jesus, specifically things um, that he does and how he interacts with his church. We saw that he sees everything, knows everything, controls everything, and will properly respond to everything. Those themes run throughout those seven letters to those seven different churches. The idea that he knows exactly what is going on, he sees everything that is going on, he controls everything that is going on uh, in the midst of evil working its way towards the church and trying to squash the witness and the testimony of the church. Jesus is very in control of those attacks, limiting those attacks when necessary. He responds to everything appropriately. Jesus gives caution to the churches that if change doesn't happen, certain responses will occur. He also gives encouragement to the churches that if they will persevere and do certain things, that a proper response will come in the end as well. We saw some expectations for the church um, as we look back through those seven letters that uh, Jesus expects good works to be done, works that are motivated by love. Uh, We saw that true doctrine is supposed to be an important element of the local church. Perseverance and endurance, even if it brings about suffering and death, is a value that Jesus attaches to church life. Ongoing regular repentance, that a church is to see and hear things in Scripture that is not being done and to repent accordingly. Jesus is certainly concerned about reality over reputation, that a church may have a reputation of being faithful, but Jesus sees the inner workings of that church and is more concerned about the reality of that church versus its reputation, which works both sides. A church may be small and seemingly ineffective in a community, but Jesus uh, understands the reality of what's taking place in that church as well. Tentiveness to the word, churches that hear and respond is something that Jesus certainly values as well. We've learned what Jesus despises, false teaching, specifically teaching that is focused on idolatry and sexual immorality compromise with evil and culture, worldly fear that would cause us to back off of our commitment to Christ, and then half-heartedness, churches and Christians specifically in those churches that uh, approach the Christian life half-heartedly in a lukewarm manner. And so we we said that we're going to share a survey with you guys coming up from the elders asking for feedback about our church in light of the things that we've learned about these churches How does that look for our current church? And some of the questions that you can expect to see on that upcoming survey, what are we doing well as a church? What areas within our church do you think we should focus on improving? What suggestions would you make that would help make our church more effective in loving, serving, and impacting those inside and outside of our church? What advice would you offer to the leadership of our church to help improve the efforts to shepherd, guide, and oversee the individuals and families of our church? And then number five, what do you personally feel like you can do to help be a part of the change that you have suggested? And so we're hoping to to get that out as soon as possible to get feedback from you. We want you to continue to think through those questions and how best to answer those questions. 
But as I was processing this week and looking at going into Revelation chapter 4, I felt like it's important for us to understand that we can offer the feedback um, that, that God places upon our hearts. We can read through that feedback and ultimately even attempt to implement some of that feedback. But if the elders aren't leading properly and the membership doesn't respond properly, then all of that will be for naught. Um, and so I want us to pause briefly today before we get into Revelation 4, most likely next week, and consider the implications of how our churches are to function when Revelation, Jesus refers to in Revelation in each one of these letters, that the churches are to hear this message and respond, that, that they are blessed for hearing these messages and responding accordingly. And so I want us to be a church that is certainly ready to hear and to respond to the message that Jesus has left to us in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. So our summary sentence for today, and these notes, as always, are attached to our Google Drive to where you can access these at a later time. For us to hear the message of Christ to the churches, the elders must be ready to lead with joy, and members must be ready to respond in obedience and submission, trusting that the end goal of our leadership is unity, maturity, and love. For us to hear the message of Christ to the churches, the elders must be ready to lead with joy, and members must be ready to respond in obedience and submission, trusting that the end goal of our leadership is unity, maturity, and love. The idea here is that if we are going to continue to persevere as a church, and if we're going to make necessary changes as we continue to persevere, that that change begins at the top with the leadership leading our church into that change. The expectation when these churches would have been read, when these letters would have been read in these churches is that the leadership should have been dialed into the message, recognizing that the expectation will be now for us to lead this church to respond to this message of Jesus. So as Jesus gives rebuke and says things need to change, the leadership of that church would have heard those necessary changes and would have begun to meet and discuss how do we lead our church in changing in this area, right? So for us to be a church that hears the message appropriately, it necessitates that our elders are ready to lead. And as we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 13, it's so important that elders are ready to lead with joy and that members are ready to respond in obedience. But being able to do so and feeling um, invigorated and energized to respond in obedience because they're trusting that the end goal of the elders' leadership and the decisions that the leaders make within this church is meant for unity, maturity, and love. For our kids, for a church to obey the message of the Bible properly, the church elders must lead and the church members must follow. Let's talk briefly about what the basic expectations or the basic functions of an elder are according to scripture. What are some things that when you think of the function of an elder, you immediately have your mind drawn to? Basic functions of an elder. Contend the gospel. Make sure that the gospel is kept. Okay, contending for the gospel. Make sure that the gospel is kept within the church. Yep. Teaching. Teaching. Teaching is certainly a component of what an elder does. Encouragement. Encouragement. What else? What are basic functions of an elder? Hospitality. Hospitality. That certainly comes from the qualifications of an elder. First Timothy chapter 3 uh, describes uh, elders as teachers. It's one of the qualifications in verse 2 of chapter 3. 
Also in Titus chapter 1, uh, verse 9, we see some specific aspects of how they're to teach. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, talking about an elder or an overseer, it says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, so he's expected to be able to teach sound doctrine and he's also, be, he's also equipped and able to refute false doctrine. Hopefully you can see that ties in directly with the expectations of the churches in Revelation, right? Many of them were perverted by false teachings that had been infiltrating within the church, meaning that elders weren't functioning like they should have or they weren't equipped to do so. In some way, form, or fashion, they were dropping the ball and they were not refuting the false doctrine. They were allowing it to come within the church. And so elders are commissioned in the New Testament time and time again to be able to teach and to teach well and to teach sound doctrine and to refute false doctrine. They proclaim the word when given opportunity and they correct bad teaching when they hear it. That's why we want elders in all of our C groups as much as possible. Why? Because if false teaching circulates and begins to spring up within these groups, we want someone there that can contradict it, that can rebuke it, that can fight against it. Many times pastors, uh, when they, and for some reason it turned into, uh, when small groups became popular, it became, do you do Sunday school or do you do small groups? And there was this contention as to which was better. And I know in talking to pastors and even people at Liberty when I was in school, one of the big hesitations with small groups, having people meet outside the church walls around scripture was the idea that false teaching would spring up. Well, you don't have anybody in place to rebuke it when a group of people get together on a, on a weeknight to talk about the scriptures, false teaching could easily spring up. And so we try to combat that and make sure that we have qualified people in place to help redirect people. As we talk about open-ended questions regarding Scripture, we want to make sure that we stay pure in our doctrine. It's a role that an elder is supposed to play within the church. They're also to be spiritual decision-makers and peacemakers. In Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says, "...but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved." And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So there was a dispute. What's, what's Scripture saying? What is, what is true? What are we supposed to do as a church? What are we supposed to do as a Christian? There was disagreement with these Christians. And when they couldn't come to a resolution, they brought it to the elders. They expected the elders to be able to be peacemakers in this situation and to help make decisions in a situation like this. They're also tasked to be prayer warriors. In Acts chapter 6, we know that the, the issues had sprung up within the church, that people weren't being cared for properly, and it would have been easy for the apostles and elders to assume responsibility for that, but instead they, they want to push that off to able men within the church. Why? So that they can be fully devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word, verse 4 tells us in Acts chapter 6. In addition, James chapter 5 verse 14 talks about people who are sick within the church being able to come to the elders for prayer. Now that could be physical sickness, it could be spiritual sickness, but there's an expectation that elders are, are freed up to pray and to teach as they provide leadership within the church. So teaching, spiritual decision-making, oversight, care for the church, prayer for the church as well, these are common basic functions 
of an elder. But I want to see the connection between elders leading and when elders lead rightly and membership follows rightly, it produces the things that we're seeing in these churches in Revelation. All right, let's start by looking at Hebrews 13, which you've already hopefully turned to. Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse 7. Verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Point number one, elders are called to set the spiritual pace. Elders are called to set the spiritual pace. For our kids, elders are called to lead and set an example for others. In this chapter, in this passage here in Hebrews 13, 7, elders are given this expectation to set the pace for the entire church. And the rest of the church is supposed to come alongside and follow that lead. They're called to set the spiritual pace. And I want to give you a couple of points that I, can, that I drew out uh, even in studying this morning just by looking at, at, at a couple of these verses. First of all, something that jumps out to me really quickly is that elders should be worth remembering. Okay? He says, remember your leaders. Some of you may have been in churches where you would you'd rather forget the leadership within the church. right? The expectation, and so there's a call to the church membership to remember your leaders, but I think there's a... Uh, an unwritten idea there that the elders are to be worth remembering, right? They're to, they're to be functioning in such a way that somebody ought to be able to call the membership to remember that leader, that it's a good thing to remember that leader, right? Remember your leaders. The expectation is that the elder should be worth remembering. Number two, elders should have meaningful things to say, right? It says, remember your leaders. Why should we remember them? Because they are speaking to us the word of God, right? Like they, they have taught us. They have helped grow us up in our faith. They're worth remembering because they have something worth saying, right? That's the expectation given to elders. So within our church currently, that's me, that's Adam McLeod, that's Tyson. We have an unbelievable burden placed upon us to be individuals that are worth remembering because we are faithfully teaching, right? So, so you need to be able to respond to this chapter, this verse, in obedience to remember your leaders because we've given you reason to remember us, right? We faithfully taught the word. We faithfully invested in your life. We faithfully sought to instruct you. It says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Number three, elders should inspire others to live differently, right? It says, consider the outcome of of their way of life. There should, be, there should be some intentional effort by the membership to consider what are the elders doing? How do the elders live their life? How do they spend their time? What are they doing? And we're unique in that we're a church where we don't have paid staff leadership. And so the argument that, well, of course they do these things because they're paid staff and that's what their full-time job is, is removed from our church. I was sharing with a guy locally who, um, helped, who has planted a church, but he's a full-time pastor. And he was talking to me about the advantages of, why are you bivocational? Why do you, why do you work a full-time job in addition to pastoring a church? And I was sharing with him. I said, 
I want to be able to remove this whole idea that what I do during the week can be excused because I'm a full-time pastor, right? Like I want to be able to set my life up as an example and say, here's how I schedule and, and perform my week, and you can come alongside and do the same thing. It says, remember your leaders. Why? Because they should be worth remembering. Why? Because they've spoken to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Look at their life. Examine their life. It should be worth imitating, right? They should be living differently in such a way that, number four, they should be worth imitating. And I think in addition to that, you should be capable of imitating them, meaning that elders have made themselves available in such a way that you can see and, and follow what it is we're doing, right? That, that hospitality aspect of being an elder, it's, it's meant to invite people into the, into the home so that you can get an in-depth look at what it looks like to be this person, right? You ought to be able to see what it looks like to be an elder within our church, that we ought to be an open book to you with our life, that you have access to us, that if you want more exposure to us, that we've made that available to you, right? Elders should be worth imitating and be capable of being imitated. And I wanted to coin a new word. They should be imitatable, right? Like it's not a word, but it, but it helps kind of summarize what I'm trying to say there. Elders should be the type of people that are worth imitating and that you're able to imitate them because they make themselves available to be imitated. That's the expectation that's placed here in Hebrews chapter 13. Elders are supposed to be leading in these areas. Members are supposed to be responding, right? They're supposed to remember their leaders, remember the things that they've talked to you about, consider the outcome of their life, imitate their faith. So there's a partnership here, right? You can't imitate our faith if we're not imitatable, right? Like if we're not putting ourselves out there as worth imitating, then you can't really obey this scripture. So there's a partnership here. Elders are called to be rememberable, right? Like they're, they're to be worth remembering, we're to, we're to have something worth saying. We should, be, we should be hanging out with you, building friendships with you, but it should be tied to us speaking the word of God to you whenever we can, encouraging you, teaching you, leading you, overseeing you. We should have a life that's worth considering and a life that's worth imitating. So if we're doing our part, you're doing your part, what's the result? I think it leads us to verse 9 where it says, Do not be led, uh, be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. The implication is that when elders lead well and members follow well, the church is protected from false teaching. And that's a running theme through these churches that we've seen in Revelation, right? False teaching, false teaching, false teaching pops up and it perverts the church. Acts chapter 20 you get the same idea here. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul getting ready to um, leave and depart from this church, and it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Right, so Paul's commissioning these Ephesian elders and saying, this is what I need you to do. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the whole flock. The Holy Spirit's made you an overseer. Care for this church. This church belongs to Jesus. How? Because he obtained it with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Right, if elders lead well... They pay careful attention to their lives. 
they set themselves up as someone who is worth following, then it naturally guards the people within the church. We're teaching faithfully, protects us against false teachers that would spring up. And that was a problem in some of these other churches. And so we want to be a church that's set up for spiritual doctrinal success because we have elders in place who lead well, and then our membership is following that example well too. Number two, another passage that I want us to look at, elders are called to model humility. Elders are called to model humility. For kids, elders are called to show humility to others. This leads us to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close your, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. All right, elders are called to model humility. How do we see that? First of all, elders are to take ownership of their oversight willingly. They're to take ownership of their oversight willingly. All right, Jesus instructs and says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. That, that idea of compulsion is that we're, we're forced to do it, we're talked into it, we're made to do it. Instead, the idea here is that elders embrace their responsibility to own their responsibility to oversee a church, to do so willingly, to be motivated to do so out of their own heart, to set examples of humility by doing so out of that desire. They're to take ownership of their oversight willingly. But secondly, elders are to be properly motivated in their actions. They're to be properly motivated in their actions. We're to do it eagerly, the Bible says. Elders should be eagerly doing this and not doing it for personal gain. Right? That, that elders don't function as elders and perform the duties of elders in order to personally gain from that arrangement or for that relationship. Instead, we're to be properly motivated in that we're eager to do it, we're willing to do it, and that in doing so, we're doing it out of an attitude of service in our leadership rather than in a domineering type mindset, right? That, that elders have a responsibility to lead, to lead adults, to, to call adults to do things, to rebuke adults potentially when they're not doing the right thing, and to make sure that that is completely motivated and driven out of a desire to see that individual grow and mature, that it's not done to lord the leadership over anyone, it's not done because we're personally gaining from the relationship, that instead it's motivated out of a willingness and an eagerness to shepherd a flock, much like a shepherd would care 
for his sheep. So elders are called to model this humility. And why is that so important? Because when elders lead well in this area and members follow well, the church is accepted by God and protected from Satan. That's the implications that flow out of these instructions. Peter is writing to these elders and telling them to function out of an attitude of humility to set this example, right? It says, be examples to the flock. Everything that he's just described is an example of humility. That elders would subject themselves to this type of responsibility out of a willing heart, an eager heart, out of a heart that does not personally gain from this arrangement. Be an example of humility and service. Why? Well, he goes on to say in verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. It's almost as though the younger crowd needs an extra reminder that they have a responsibility to submit to the leadership of the church. It says, clothe yourselves with humility. Why? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It goes on to describe the the um, adversary Satan coming after individuals and roaring like a lion, seeking whom he would devour. The answer to being accepted by God and to avoiding the adversary of Satan is this aspect of humility. He tells them to clothe themselves in humility, right? And so the elders have a responsibility to set a great example of this. The membership has a responsibility to respond to this example. And then the idea of being accepted by God and protected from Satan ties directly in with what we've seen in Revelation, right? God's constantly talking to these churches about being accepted before him, right? And avoiding the dangers that Satan is bringing upon their church. And that's accomplished through humility. Elders set the example. Membership follows that example. And it leads to the results that we're seeing from Revelation. Number three, elders are called to empower others. Elders are called to empower others. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 has a lot to say about spiritual giftedness and the function of roles and gifts within the local church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He gave these individuals, these roles, these offices to the church for a purpose, in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I mean, it's this idea, I mean, you get this well-oiled machine picture here in Ephesians that The elders are called to do something. They're called to to equip people to do the work of the ministry, to help make sure that the church is functioning as it should. And when the church is functioning as it should, it produces all kinds of fruit. It produces maturity. It produces depth. You see individuals no longer being tossed to and fro by crazy doctrines. Again, this was something that was, was biting the churches in Revelation constantly. These false doctrines were coming in and people were being tossed to and fro by it. 
Instead, if it's functioning the way that it's supposed to, elders leading and members responding, you have this picture of the whole body growing up together, joined and held together, everyone doing their job, equipped, and love being the result. We saw the aspect of love pop up a couple of times in the churches in Revelation, right? Some people that were very busy functioning like a well-oiled machine, but love wasn't coming out of their efforts, right? They were, they were being motivated out of duty rather than a willingness and eagerness to do it that was producing love. We also saw where they were loving the wrong things, right? There were some churches that were in love with culture, in love with the world, and had really failed in their love to Christ, some that were kind of waning in their love, right? There were, were churches that were dying and churches that were lukewarm. And Jesus reminds us here that elders, if they're functioning properly, they're called to identify others to serve. You can't equip individuals until you've identified individuals to equip. And so the elders are called to identify others to serve and then to equip others to serve as well, to do the work of the ministry. And when this happens properly, when elders lead well in this area and members follow well, the church grows in unity, knowledge, doctrine, depth, maturity, and love. Again, I'm wanting you to see that the elders are called to lead in numerous passages in the New Testament. And the membership is called to respond to that leadership in order to produce the desired effects, whether it's being protected from false teaching, whether it's being accepted by God and protected from Satan, whether it's growing up in these important aspects of maturity so that we're producing love, that the elders have a responsibility to do these things and it ties in with the members' responsibility to respond to that leadership. And so the elders have all kinds of responsibilities and it leads to responsibility by the members. But then the last point that I want us to see this morning is that members are called to energize elders. Members are called to energize elders. For our kids, members are called to help encourage elders. And this brings us back to our passage in Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 17. Before we get to that one, though, I want to back up and look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.12. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. All right, so... Reading that passage, it, it, it led me to write down, elders should feel loved and valued by their church, right? Because Paul's instruction to the church at Thessalonica says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, to respect those who are over you in the Lord, to respect those who admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, because of their labor, because they're leading well, because they're, they're seeking to fulfill the role of an elder, they should, be, they should feel very valued and respected and loved by their church. Secondly, which takes us to the Hebrews passage, elders should feel joy from the obedience and submission of their church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, 
for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Elders should feel loved and valued by their church. Elders should feel joy from the obedience and submission of their church. So here, a lot of the expectations falls upon the membership, right? If the members are doing certain, certain things, and we're not told exactly what the members are doing, but if they are functioning in such a way that it gives joy to the elders and value and love to the elders, it increases the advantages of the church. When elders lead well and members follow well, the church experiences increased advantages. Because here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He says, if, if you as membership aren't functioning in such a way that produces joy in your eldership, there's going to be a disadvantage. Because it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, because if they're doing it with groaning, it's not an advantage to you. It's a disadvantage. Right? They're not being energized by the response of the people within the church, and so it's, it's potentially hanging them up in their leadership. They can't press forward because there's a lack of joy, maybe a lack of value that's felt, a lack of love that's experienced from the church, and so it may be a disadvantage to the advancement of that church because they're not energized the way that they're supposed to be. This is where it's helpful to have multiple elders because I can speak to this and it not be simply speaking about myself. Right? Like I'm not saying, hey, you have a responsibility to energize me as the pastor, right? I can speak in terms of, let's just talk about Adam McLeod and Tyson, okay? So we can take me out of the equation. The question that we're asking here is, what are you purposefully and intentionally doing to keep Adam McLeod and Tyson energized as elders within this church? Is there anything that you're specifically doing to energize them and is there anything specifically you might be doing to de-energize them as elders within this church? And this is healthy conversation for those that are visiting with us this morning because you're going to go back to other churches where this is just as applicable in those settings, right? Discussion questions that I wanted you to kind of contemplate and think through this morning. What does it mean to obey your elders? Because we've seen this multiple times already this morning. There's a call for membership to obey the leadership within the church, which is why we are very careful in walking through the membership process that we don't want anybody to sign up for membership in Sovereign Hope without having a clear understanding of the leadership that they are signing up to follow and to uh, respond to and to obey. That's why everybody that, that joins our church has to meet with every one of our elders. So they are in their homes and can experience who these people are and, and what, are they, what, are their, what are they trying to do within this local church. Because the expectation also is that as a member, you're going to help energize and feed the work of the elders. What does it mean to obey your leaders? What does it mean for a leader to shepherd and care for your soul? What do you think brings joy to an elder? And what do you think creates groaning for an elder? How many of you got to question three and four this morning? The joy and the groaning part. Okay, let's, let's camp out there for just a second. Because, again... Here's where I feel like we're, we're at a point in, in our church's history where we've talked about the possibility of moving and long-term plans and goals about where we want to be. We continue to talk about the desires to plant other churches, both locally and globally. Um, a lot of things going on in our church, and I think it's so crucial and important for us as elders to continue to lead well, right? 
And I think it's also really important that we get feedback from you as to how we can better lead, right? Like we're leading you and we do desire feedback as to how we can better lead, right? That's why we ask for it. That's why we desire it. We want to know where we're missing the mark potentially and how we can accomplish things better. But I also think it's helpful for you guys to receive feedback from us, right? Are we energized like we need to be to continue to carry this church forward, okay? And I would say right now, between the three of us and our discussions over the past several months, there, there's a lack of energy at times for us in leading right now. We, we want to be able to give you some feedback as to how we can maybe be re-energized in some of our tasks. And this has been a point of conversation for a couple of months now, um, even in some areas where I've reached out to help, to get help from other people outside of our church, okay? And, and I would be amiss if I just kept this into myself and tried to keep pressing forward and tried to keep energizing Adam and Tyson for us to lead well, lead well, lead well, and never really offer potentially the necessary feedback for us to really experience the energy that we need to keep going forward, okay? So let's get some feedback from you as to maybe where you're at in your understanding of these concepts, bringing joy to an elder in, in, in your life within the church and potentially bringing about a mindset of groaning within the church for the eldership as well. What are, what are some things that you think potentially produce joy and energy for an elder as a church member? Knowing that you're being prayed for, um, and specifically right now how Dan has set up the daily praying for every member of the church throughout every month, therefore, always. Okay, yeah, the aspect of knowing that we're being prayed for and, and Dan set up the opportunity for us to, to respond as church members to pray for the elders of our church. Um, that certainly brings about encouragement for an elder to know that they're being prayed for. What else might be a source of joy? Coming with an attitude of expectation of actually getting something out of church. Um, like it's a joy to us to be here. It's not just like, oh, I have something else I got to do in my week. Okay, and how might an elder know that you're coming with that mindset? Because you could come with that mindset and nobody would ever know necessarily. Oh, people would know if I'm... I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I would know if I didn't want to be here. Um, help me out, y'all. <laughs> I think uh, like you know after the service encouraging like maybe if Adam was preaching a sermon like hey brother I really enjoyed that this point this week has helped me to grow in my faith and grow in my sanctification in Christ alright so dialoguing with elders about things that are being taught for sure letting them know that you're paying attention that you're listening that it's having some type of an effect I think going out of the way to serve each other in the church, not just putting all that responsibility on the leaders to reach out and serve others to come to church willing to serve. All right, going out of your way to serve others within the church and not expecting just the elders to do that. I think we're motivated by fruit. That, you know, when you actually see the fruit of your work, um, see that you're reaping, a, you know, you're reaping um, sanctification in people's lives, you're reaping new believers, you're reaping... Uh, influence in the world, you know, be able to see the big picture, um, I think would be encouraging. Okay, yeah, being able to see um, the fruit of our labors and being able to see the, the growth and the sanctification that we so desire for you, being able to see examples of that certainly um, would energize and um, 
inspire, I think, for us to continue the thought process of how to lead well and how to encourage well and how to uh, even lead in the, in the aspect of change well, too. I think not being, having a critical spirit towards your leaders, but having grace and, um, like we're saying, encouraging. Because a lot of times people can be really critical, but the flip side of the coin is that causing you to not feel joy. Mm-hmm. Yep, criticism can definitely be good and appropriate and needed, but coupling that with grace um, is certainly helpful as well. Yep. Um, respecting and um, I guess applying their counsel to your life. Like okay. You go, yep. them, you go to them for advice. They them seeing you really follow that. Yep. Applying counsel that has been given to your life, applying that and allowing us to see the fruit of that. Yep. I would expect you guys to see joy because I, I, I feel joy through it whenever somebody just takes something on their own. Um, and I give an example, Toby and Alex, taking the boys and the comment you made before is why so-and-so not in Mac sees, oh, because he's meeting with this person. They're just doing it on their own. And mm-hmm. It's kind of like what Miss Carolyn said with the fruit, but they're just, it's, it's uh, uh, overflowing from the heart. They're just serving just because they're served. Right, yeah. So... Bobby using the example of, of people kind of taking things and owning things and doing things without having to be constantly nagged or reminded to do so. And so example being somebody like Topi or, or Alex or Rachel spending time with kids in our youth that oftentimes we may not even know about. Um, but I think t- to tie in with that, I certainly don't, I, I don't expect Topi or Alex or Rachel to come tell me hey, we did these things, feel energized and encouraged because we're doing it. Instead, what would be energizing and encouraging is to have those that are affected by it. And I've had, I've had you guys reach out and say, hey, it is super encouraging that so-and-so is here hanging out with so-and-so in, in my family type of thing. And so I think being reminded that if you see somebody in our church doing something and it, it bringing encouragement to you, offering that back as an aspect of an encouragement to an elder, realizing that, well, I certainly wouldn't expect the person that's serving to go tell the elders how great they did today serving. Does that make sense? So, so identifying, hey, this would probably be encouraging to our leadership that so-and-so is doing this, and the elders may not know it. I want to, I want to affirm this person by bringing this to the elders' attention so that it's encouragement. Just like Ms. Carolyn said, hey, we want to see the fruit of our labor and the sanctification that's being produced, and that oftentimes will flesh itself out by people taking ownership of serving within the church, but sometimes that doesn't make its way back, and so there's fruit that maybe is happening. We're just not aware of it, and so we keep laboring and toiling and sweating, wondering will we ever will we ever see a return on the investment? And maybe there is a return. We're just we're not dialed into it. We're not clued into it because, you know, we would expect someone like Topi to go and to serve and to do well and not toot his own horn about what he's done this week and who he's hung out with. So, um, absolutely. And then you guys identifying those things and, and, and encouraging the elders, I think, through conversation, saying, "Hey, I wanted to draw this to your attention." I noticed so-and-so doing something this week, and and it was encouraging to me. It served me well, and I want you to be aware that that's a fruit of your labor. All right, let's go with the flip side. What what might be a source of groaning for eldership within the church? And some of that would just be the opposite of what we said, but let's give some attention to activity, behavior, mindset, attitude that may hurt the energy and the joy 
of leadership. And, and it's not just elders. I mean, deacons kind of can be, can be grouped into that as well, C-group leaders um, that, are, that are functioning as leadership in different capacities within our church too. What is potentially activity that could hurt? I would say when people don't show up or don't participate, okay. whether it be they're not committed to C-group every month or they don't show up to serve at Memorial Day or whatever, okay. and just don't sign up, they go and let somebody else do it. Right. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, attendance is something that certainly affects the joy of leadership. And it's a touchy subject because there's not expectations given in Scripture as to what committed looks like and what committed doesn't look like, right? And so it is 100% attendance expected? It's desired for sure. Is it expected? Absolutely not, right? I mean, Ben and Andrea are, are tending to family things today, and that's an absolutely appropriate reason to potentially not be here with us on a Sunday morning. But I do think that there's times where the reasons for why someone is absent from a C group or from a Sunday morning potentially could be discouraging to someone who, who is here and ready to invest and ready to teach and ready to pour into. And that's not just me, right? Like, that's not just me. Adam McLeod labors regularly every week in the nursery to teach our young kids outside of our regular kids' teaching class, right? So he's expecting to show up and have kids within the nursery. And so to prepare and to, to anticipate teaching and there not be certain families here I think it's encouraging to know that they're not here for, for good reasons. And again, that's hard to gauge as to what's a good reason and not a good reason. But I can tell you there are oftentimes reasons that can be discouraging because it feels like it would, be, it would have been really great if you were here instead of that kind of thing. Okay? Other thoughts as to what may be a source of discouragement towards an elder. And, and I don't want you to, I'm not thinking of anybody when I'm using examples here. So I don't want anybody to think like, Oh yeah, I texted him two weeks ago and told him I wasn't going to be here, and now he's—that's that, me, right? Like this type of stuff would all be piled together. Not like I'm not saying I'm discouraged because people aren't showing up on a Sunday morning type of thing, right? Like our attendance is great typically on Sunday mornings. So I don't want you to think any of the things that we're talking about are the exact thing that needs to be addressed. I'm giving you examples of things, and and some of the things that I've I'm even sharing are things that I've heard from people outside of our church, elders outside of, because I, I asked some elders outside of our church, hey, what's a source of discouragement for you? What would potentially hurt your joy in leading? And some of this would be feedback from them as well. A lack of growth in people, like if they come to you with the same old problem all the time, and they never change, and never take your advice, and it's just like you're beating your head against the wall. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Elizabeth mentioned, I think, the idea of a hey, counsel being given and counsel being taken. So that's the positive side of things. That is a joy and an energizer for elders. The flip side is it's discouraging when people may come and we're giving the best advice possible. We're giving scriptural advice and we know it's tied and rooted to scripture, not personal preference or opinion, to see people potentially not implement that counsel and then want to continue to come back and ask for the same advice and the same counsel. And it's a point where you say, I don't have anything else to say. I've, I've shared everything I know to share with you. And you haven't done that, right? Like, so you could question my ability to be an elder if you've done everything that I've told you to do and my counsel's not working. But oftentimes it's, you haven't implemented the counsel that's been given. So whether I'm the issue or not, we can't even determine as to whether I give good counsel or not because you haven't tried the counsel yet. So that would certainly be an area and a source potentially of discouragement. John Piper doesn't watch over my soul, but Adam, Tyson, and you do. 
do. So just respecting that authority and, and realizing that outside sources are great and listening to them, but but being invested here, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Chandler is not on the Day of Judgment going to be like, uh, you know, when God tells him, hey, you know, Ryan, he, he doesn't even know me, you know, but you do, and Adam and Tyson does. So. Right. I'm assuming it's very discouraging whenever somebody comes and says, we as a church should do this. And you know what they're saying is, you should do this. <laughs> and so I like your questioning of the, or last week, question was, how are you going to help implement this? And it's great to hear you guys answering this in the way that I would feel like I would have to give you the answers for it, because this is exactly the type of things that that I would have written down and some of the things that I did write down, things that I want you to be aware of. And, and I think that in the same way that we're asking for feedback from you guys as to how we can lead well, like I said, I feel like it would be beneficial and helpful for us to give feedback to you. But here's what I would like in anticipation of leaving this morning. For you guys to and to potentially even somebody, anybody, create a, a message string on the city that says, here's questions as members that we would like to ask the elders so that we can have feedback on how to be better members, right? So we've, we've posed questions to you. Here's, here's, here's what we want you to answer so that we can do our job better as elders, right? We've got answers. I'd like for you to pose the questions so that we can give you those answers in that format versus what could easily be appearing as domineering by saying, here's what we need you to do better kind of thing. Does that make sense? I mean, the idea here in these two scriptures is that elders are to feel loved and valued and energized and encouraged in their leadership. There's to be a joy aspect to it based on how the membership responds. And so we want to, we want to come to faithfully admit and say, hey, there's some things as elders we're probably not doing very well that we could do better. That's why we pose the question, what advice would you offer to us that would help us shepherd better, right? And so we want to extend the same exchange as well by getting you to ask us some questions that would help give us an opportunity to give you answers as to how you could potentially be better members so that we can lead well, you can follow well, and we can accomplish the fruit that we've seen in the passages this morning, and we can see the end result fruit that is described to us in Revelation, that if churches will hear well the message of Christ, and again, the, the elders should have been dialed in and said, okay, We've heard the message. We're going to have to help lead our church to, to respond in this way. And the membership should have heard it and said, we can't wait to see where the elders want to lead us in responding to this message. Okay, so that relationship so important, leading well, following well, for us to accomplish the things that are set forth in Revelation 2 and 3. We as elders want to be able to do that, and we want to be able to give you feedback as well. Um, and so we're going to continue to put together our survey. And again, we would love for membership to take responsibility to maybe formulate a survey as well that the elders could answer that would give good feedback to our membership as to how our membership can improve in the same way we're asking for you on feedback on how we can improve, okay? So our application this morning is real simple. Complete the survey that's going to come out this week, right? Because we're going to finalize our questions and we're going to put that forth to you so that we can learn and grow from your feedback, Okay? And then to kind of go along with that, we would love for you to give us further feedback by giving us questions that we could potentially answer as elders that would allow us to maybe share some things that we see that would help us improve as a church as a whole. All right, any questions about what we're kind of talking about there?
Okay, again, I felt like dialoguing about this was important because I think we want to lead well. And like I said, there's been some discouragement in our meetings as to how to, to do that. And maybe one of the things that, that didn't get mentioned, so the things that I wrote down I think we touched on, a feeling that key church gathering times aren't always prioritized, um, lack of consistency to follow through from people that offer to help or ask for specific responsibilities, but maybe they don't really go forward with it and do it. Um, Bobby highlighted some of the things that our youth leaders are doing. Um, it was such an encouragement when we, um, we asked Jeremy about doing this um, camp out this weekend. And I was like, I don't want to have to plan it or anything. And I mean, Jeremy just embraced it and planned the whole thing. We were talking about food and how to do it and whatnot, and we were kind of dialoguing as elders, and Jeremy just posted it and took care of it and ran with it and set up a great event for us this weekend. People that ask for responsibilities or are given responsibilities that follow through with it, such an encouragement. Those that don't, it becomes a discouragement because it's stuff that needs to be done. We'd love to delegate it, but if it doesn't get accomplished, well, now we're trying to figure out the awkwardness of taking it back from you so we can give it to somebody else, and that that creates all kinds of, of difficulties with us. Um, lack of faithfulness to apply the wisdom shared for specific situations we're asked about. We talked about that. Um, lack of personal care shown by everyone in the church to each other and instead expecting the elders to always fill in the gaps. Um, we talked about that a little bit too, that, that we see needs and we help serve and meet needs as a fruit of our sanctification. Um, but the thing I was going to mention, feedback that's focused on problems or ways that we can improve that aren't also coupled with um, appreciation or examples of things that we feel like we are doing well. So that's why I tied in that first question to our survey, just in the same way Jesus does. Let me tell you first what you're doing well before I tell you where you need to improve. And so as elders, I think it's going to be extremely energizing if you'll take this survey seriously and tell us some of the things that are working well so we don't touch those, we don't mess with those. Because if we don't know what we're doing well, but we hear what we're doing not so well, we potentially change the things that we're doing well to try to fix this problem, not realizing that, no, this didn't need to be fixed. This was working well, okay? Again, we want to evaluate our church and the health of our church in the same way that Jesus evaluated these churches in Revelation. And so as we continue to push forward in Revelation, I wanted us to kind of see today, again, the importance of leaders and members working together for that desired fruit. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for our, our time this morning, and Lord, while I know it wasn't maybe as deep in um, doctrine or discussion as maybe we would normally uh, look forward to, Father, I pray that the practicality of today would be just as meaningful and just as impactful. Lord, as we've kind of grazed over some of these passages and seen some immediate connections to what we're um, doing as a church right now, I pray that you would... Um, re-energize us as elders to lead well in the areas that you've called us to lead in. Um, Father, that we would be leadership that sets the spiritual pace, that models humility. Um, Father, that we would fulfill our responsibilities to empower others by seeking to equip and to encourage. And God, I pray that as elders, we would be able to, to see much of the fruit that you're performing in our church, that we wouldn't be blinded to it, that we would see it and be encouraged by it. And I pray that our members would help draw our attention to that fruit as well um, so that we can receive the, the encouragement that leads to the joy of doing what we do. Um, Father, I pray that you would continue to help us as a church to evaluate things that we're doing well, things that we're not doing well, so that we can be a church that hears the message that you gave to these seven churches. Lord, we want to we wanna be faithful to implement and to do the things that we've been studying 
And so, Father, help us to do that. Help us to evaluate. Help us to share um, so that we can, uh, we can improve on the things that you called us to do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.